Welcome to The Inner Room, a study where we review highlights on daily scriptures and focus on the instructions and examples they provide to learn mastery of our emotions, to guide us in our spiritual journey, to learn to pray, worship, and listen to God's will for our lives. Hello, this is Sofia Fonseca de Niño, and I welcome you to this inner room. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the inner room, Emotions in the Bible. And we would love to hear your questions, your ideas, or your comments. Thank you for joining us today. Let's think today about reconciliation and the role that priests have played in the story of salvation. There is a man in Ars, France, that was born to peasants in France in the 19th century. And he came to a small little church that was sort of falling apart and turned it into a place where many, many would come to be reconciled because he had such words of wisdom to heal the brokenhearted and to forgive sins because he could sort of see inside of people's souls in a way that just cut through the truth, cut to the essence. A lot of times we uh, become convoluted in our minds. I don't know if you've experienced having someone in your life that was a great counselor and that you went to great lengths, made appointments, set time aside to be able to speak with someone like that. It's happened to me a few times in college, I had a uh, spiritual counselor that was part of the center at the at the college, and um, he would play the flute outside under the trees, and in between classes you could see him, but I would make appointments with him because he had a way of discerning and a way of clarifying and a way of helping to form a conscience. So. Finding a counselor like that is important, and priests who have dedicated themselves to God from the beginning of salvation's history, who have consecrated their lives, who have been set apart for that role, that very specific role, are very important in that sense of reconciling us, bringing us together, knitting us back to the fabric of our own life when we feel like we've fallen out and we feel like we have lost our way. I see that in Psalm 139, there's a beautiful line about this role of the priest. You shall, you priests, shall be clothed with justice. Your holy ones shall ring out their joy. And in Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians, God chose the foolish of the world to shame the wise. And he chose this little man that would spend 11, 12, 16 hours a day reconciling sinners to God that came seeking counsel as one of these wonderful examples um, that we can come back to and we meditate on some of the writings that that he wrote on today's uh, gospel. I will read a little meditation that he had on virtue. But we come to the first reading on Jeremiah and see that the Lord continues giving messages to Jeremiah in the last few chapters Messages that are not easy to hear and they're not easy to actually give because they're not messages of wonder and joy. They're messages of difficulty coming their way, the way of the Israelites. 
And in this particular passage on Jeremiah 30, from verses 1 through 22, we first see that God gives very specific instructions to Jeremiah, and he tells him, write all the words I've spoken to you in a book. So this book of Jeremiah is the result of a very direct instruction by God. And then the Lord tells him what to say. First, there's a long list of things that are all about being brokenhearted. Incurable is your wound, grievous grievous your bruise. He talks about being forgotten, being lonely, and uses words like the lovers have left you or the enemies have uh, stricken you down. And then comes the second set of movements uh, inspiring us to understand God's heart. And they're all about restoration offered by God, restoration, rebuilding of the city, restoration of the, of the uh, palace, the glory of God coming through again. And then in the third and last passage, part of the passage, God invites us to make him our, our own. He wants to fight our fights. He wants to be our God and he wants us to be his people. In that sense, the mediation that Jeremiah provides as a prophet, as somebody that will relay messages to us, is an, is an important thing to consider in the process of reconciliation and renitting of our hearts to God's heart, renitting of our lives back into the lives of communities where maybe we've been strained from and what that process takes. Let's continue looking at the psalm for more instructions. The psalm for today is 102, and it also talks about restoration. There's a beautiful, beautiful verse. The nations shall revere your name, Lord. And isn't that important in this time when we see that communities, neighborhoods, uh, even within families, there's been division, there's been strife. And revering the name of God is sort of a form in which all of us can come together and elevate our eyes. And we can ask God for restoration for the world because we are all experiencing the pandemic. So whatever our differences, we can experience the sense of wholeness and togetherness when we ask God to restore love, to restore his ways, to restore order. The Lord talks about rebuilding Zion and appearing in glory so that we can actually see in that revelation a sense of restoration and of coming together. The Lord looked down from his holy height, from heaven he beheld the earth to hear the groaning that was going on. And isn't that what we need right now, that the Lord will look down on us and help us so that we can rejoice in his presence, that we can find in the midst of the lockdown a sense of purpose and mission as all of us are returning in our minds to school starting in a couple of weeks and having to make preparations for a very different kind of schooling. We need a restoration for our rhythms and our routines, and those are all being interrupted. But we can come together in the things that are of God and lift up our eyes and sense His presence and allow that presence to stop our worry and our anxiety and to know that as we are all praying together, and I have so many friends that have started prayer groups and they're meeting daily 
I have a group of friends from Chile that are getting together, a group of friends from Argentina. Some of them are by countries. I know that I'm part of a couple of groups of prayer and a Bible study that is very important and meaningful to my life with women that I've worked with. And there's another one in the school. So these gatherings that are happening virtually are a sense of that restoration, that reneeding of community that happens around prayer. And when something terrible is happening around us, that joins us all in kind of a common sense of need, that all of us have a need to be restored and a need to pray for one another because there's so many people that are suffering. This creates a communion, a, a sense of unity that we didn't have before. And we can come to an understanding of restoration in a new perspective in the middle of the pandemic. Let's take a look at how Jesus takes this issue of restoration in the gospel for today. One of the aspects to think about in the sense of restoration has to do with keeping traditions. In today's reading from Matthew 15, comes after all of that dramatic and tremendous activity that takes place on Matthew 14 when Jesus learns that his cousin has died and there's the multiplication of, of the fish and the loaves. And then uh, after that, Jesus goes for a long prayer and then we see him walking on water and without sleeping except for the prayer that he had in the mountain with his father where he's restored in that prayer he comes out on the other side of the lake and they're still looking for him for more uh, curing of the sick. So Jesus has been in this intense activity. And at the beginning of Matthew 15, we see him now surrounded by Pharisees that probably have heard about all these great miracles, this great activity. They probably have heard that Herod had killed uh, Jesus's cousin who was calling everybody to a sense of restoration, an alignment. John the Baptist kept telling everybody, you know, make the path straight because the great one of God is coming behind me. And what are the Pharisees, after hearing all of these things concerned about, what do they come to see? What, do, what, what are their, their own essential questions? They come from Jerusalem. They've come from far away. So the news must have traveled all over the region but the question they bring, you judge for yourself. Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? They do not wash their hands when they eat a meal. Well, in this moment of the pandemic, we're all obsessed about washing our hands in a good way. It's important that we're all washing our hands. And so it comes at a time when that's a very important thing. But of all the things that they could have said, of all the things that they could have wondered and pondered with Jesus, knowing what he had done, how he was curing people, they are now focused on the minutia of the letter of the law. And the letter of the law is important and is fine. But in the face of all the things that Jesus is doing, the multiplication of the bread, they want to throw him off, discount him, because of something small rather than seeing the essence of what is truly before them. So Jesus summons the crowd. And there's this wonderful sense of authority that we see in Matthew 14 and Matthew 15. It's just like this 
transmutation of emotions that Jesus is turning that grief for his cousin and all the injustice of a corrupt king and that was in in unjustly just creating chaos for so many and the Roman Empire breathing down the necks of so many crucifying so many people in this climate of intensity and injustice Jesus appears with authority, just like yesterday. I love that reading from yesterday where he walks on water. It's just tremendous. It is such a hopeful thing when I'm in the midst of chaos that I can just imagine Jesus walking on water towards me and knowing that he tells me, take courage and be not afraid. He's the, he's the voice, the word of all of those beautiful, creative, courageous moments of encouragement and inspiration to us and the Pharisees are bringing that conversation down to the lowest common denominator but Jesus turns around summons the crowd with authority and says hear and understand it is not what enters one's mouth that defiles one but what comes out of the mouth is what defiles whatever is coming from our thoughts whatever is coming from our unruly tongues Whatever is coming from the brokenness or uh, thwarted intentions of our heart. The things that come from our spirit are the ones that cause the greatest harm. Not washing our hands can definitely be a problem, especially in today's world. But it is not what going to be what defiles the soul. The disciples then approach Jesus and inquire further because they see that the Pharisees have been offended. You know, they've been offended by the small things, even though Jesus is doing the big things. Curing is such a big thing. But he is kind and generous to his own disciples. And Jesus says, every plant my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They're blind guides of the blind. It's perhaps another version of Let's not bother with this, not throw pearls to the swine. We, we can change them. They're not really willing. They're not ready. They're not open. They really want to find what's wrong. They are not asking very good questions. In the process of reconciliation, we have to learn to ask better questions. We have to get to the essence, to the, to the essential things in our heart. And John uh, of uh, Vianney, John of ours, gives three conditions to make an act pleasing to God, which are all missing in the Pharisees' question. The action that we perform has to be sincere and perfect, coming from our hearts with a desire to please God, to love the other ones around us. It has to be perfect. That means we are practicing the things that are easy for us, but we are expanding the repertoire. We're we're trying to practice the things that are not easy for us as well. Secondly, the action has to be humble and without selfishness. We're not performing the actions like the Pharisees for others to see, but we have a pureness in our action that wants just a sense of humility, of, of serving God, not of serving ourselves. And then thirdly and last, it has to be persevering. It has to be enduring. It has to be constant. It means we don't just do it one time as kind of a firecracker, but we do it as a steady practice. These actions begin to form our character and then begin to form our destiny, like St. Thomas Aquinas says, because 
they are forming who we are based on who God wants us to be. So as we think about restoration, as we think of the role of priests very differently in Jeremiah than now here with Jesus, where the priestly class, which are the Pharisees, is coming here with the wrong questions. We have to be discerning. And Jesus tells us, look for restoration in the intentions of the heart. So let us pray. Father, give us a good heart that intends what is pleasing to you, that doesn't seek the attention of others, that doesn't seek to please itself, but seeks to live in love, to, to see you and to see others as you see them, that we may remain in your gaze, that we may remain in your presence, and that that presence may restore us as you work to restore the world through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.